Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 266. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. Welcome to the MCAT Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week, where I get to have an amazing conversation with a Blueprint MCAT Live Online tutor. This week, we are continuing our breakdown of the Blueprint Diagnostic, which you get for free by getting a free account over at blueprintmcat.com. We are covering the ChemPhys section, Passage 5. We're getting tricky here. Before we jump into that, though, I want you, as I mentioned, to go over to blueprintmcat.com, sign up for a free account where you get this diagnostic for free, you get Blueprint MCAT Full Length 1 for free, you get access to their amazing study planner tool for free, and their brand new spaced repetition flashcard platform for free. Yes, all for free again over at blueprintmcat.com. Let's go and jump into our session today. Bojo, welcome back to another MCAT podcast. Uh, I'm still licking my wounds from the last passage, and I'm scared. I'm scared. These seem so much harder than all the other passages I've done on on Blueprint full lengths. And and I've talked to people about this, about full lengths being, or, or diagnostics rather, being extra hard. What is your thought there? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I think diagnostic exams in general, if you think about what they're meant to do, they're meant to find what you are weak in, mm-hmm. right? So they're probably, in terms of their purpose, going to expose you to the things that you're more likely to be weak in. So you can be like, all right, this is what I'm bad at. Now, when I'm done with the diagnostic, I can figure out how to improve each of those things that I'm bad at. Because <laughs> I think I even tell students when I'm like teaching them and they make a mistake, like, like if you're getting questions right over and over and over again, you're not actually learning. You're just reinforcing the things that you've already learned, right? You're not adding new things to your brain and new strategies to your back pocket for when you need them. Yeah. So although it's really hard, I would just say it is a learning opportunity, no matter how brutal and painful it may feel at the time. Because I'll be honest, when I took my first diagnostic exam, I cried. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I am never going to do well on the MCAT. Like, I should just give up now. And I think knowing that it's a learning opportunity and knowing that it is going to get better, like, this is the worst you'll be, ideally, in terms of your feeling about the test and your awareness of what to expect. I think that helps. All right, so the diagnostic is there to tell you what you're not good at. Apparently, I'm not good at anything. So with that that said, let's go ahead and jump in. We're continuing our uh, Blueprint Diagnostic Breakdown. You get it for free by signing up for a free account over at blueprintmcat.com. And uh, we are on passage numero five, I believe. Um, So let's go ahead and jump in. All right. A key modulator of action potential firing is the hyperpolarization-activated cyclic nucleotide-gated HCN ion channel. These channels are permeable to both Na+, and K+. The HCN current, IH, is found in neurons under hyperpolarization of the cell membrane. IH is proportional to the frequency of firing of action potentials. Okay. What do we like about this paragraph? It's a short paragraph. I like that it's basically only three small, four small sentences here. I was going to say, it's very small, and that's nice. We like that. We like that. Um, 
And the other thing to note is that again, like our last paragraph, it kind of talks about, sorry, last passage, it talks a little bit about like bio concepts, but I think of these concepts as like MCAT relevant with a twist, right? So we need to know what action potentials are for the MCAT, but now we're being told about this modulator, right? Mm -hmm. So highlighting modulator of action potential can be helpful because that's a topic that's being introduced and it's specifically related to something we need to know on test day, mm -hmm. right? Um, the other thing I would say, mention is again, because this is chem phys, because we're thinking about like chemistry and physics related concepts, I noticed that there's an ion channel. So HCN ion channel would also be something that I highlight there. The other thing I would highlight again, like topics and relationships that are MCAT relevant are going to be crucial in passages like this. So highlighting the fact that these channels are permeable. So maybe the word permeable can be helpful because I know that, all right, sodium and potassium, they can go through this channel. Mm. And this new variable, HCN current or IH is being introduced. And we're told that it's proportional to the frequency of firing of action potentials. And we don't need to know how, we don't need to know why, we just need to know that it is, right? So potentially like IH is proportional or something like that can be helpful there as well. But yeah, there's if this is short and sweet to the point. And everything in it is like, okay, cool. <laughs> I understand this. This isn't making me want to like, you know, exit the test and call it a day. Yep. Okay. I see this keyword here, neurologist. So again, my wife is a neurologist. So hopefully I, I get this right. She'll be sad. Oh, no way. <laughs> All right. Neurologists wish to determine if a new drug compound X, figure one, is able to block IH and reduce neuropathic pain, providing significant analgesic effects to those with pain. And then we get like this nice figure. So we have figure one, the structure of lidocaine on the left and compound X on the right. So it's uh, showing us um, kind of comparison. We know lidocaine. I think everyone should know lidocaine is a, an analgesic as well. Um, okay. So one of the things for this paragraph that I want to point out is even if you don't know lidocaine, even if you don't know what an analgesic is, sort of like what you were talking about in a previous episode, Ryan, where we were talking about one of the passages and how students who struggle with advanced English vocabulary because their English may not be their first language or because if, if they're like me, they're not very well read, um, They, you may struggle with that, right? But if yeah. you don't know what a word means, it doesn't mean you're screwed and can't answer the passage. It just means you have to rely on context. Yep. So based on the context you see here, we have providing significant analgesic effects. And right before we have this phrase, reduce neuropathic pain. So to me, as someone who may not know what that word means, I can say, all right, analgesic probably has to do with reducing pain. And that's not only spot on for what that term means, but also is all you really need to know. Um, so for me, I would highlight either analgesic effect or reduced neuropathic pain, depending on which one I understand, right? Um, and then I'd also highlight compound X and block IH, because again, this is one of my like favorite things that happens in a passage when you go from conceptual to an experiment, right? The, the authors of this like passage introduce um, these HCN ions only to talk about a new experiment that's being brought up, right? So com highlighting compound X, highlighting blocking the IH and highlighting analgesic effect would probably be what I do there. All right. Um, all right, moving on. And then again, noting, what would you note here in the figure? I'd be like, cool bean. That's what lidocaine <laughs> and compound X looks like. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> yep. Okay. Compound X's effect on neuronal firing was first compared to lidocaine, a known sodium channel inhibitor. Ganglion cells were treated with three different concentrations of compound X. Sodium current was isolated and then recorded using patch clamping. Figure two shows the results of these recordings. Oh, all right. So I'm trying to figure I'm I'm thrown off by the first sentence here where it's compared to lidocaine, but 
I don't see lidocaine unless lidocaine is the control, but I don't think lidocaine's the control. Lidocaine is not the control. Yeah. And you're totally right. Like they just said that they compared it and then didn't really, didn't really see it. <laughs> didn't tell us like, anything about it. Okay. Yeah. They're like, by the way, we did that. But then also we did this and this is what we want you to look at. Instead. Got it. Got it. All right. So, um, so ganglion cells were treated three different concentrations. So we have a hundred, uh, whatever that concentration is, 30 and one. Sodium current was isolated and then recorded. And so we can see the control, I'm assuming, is without any analgesic. You're getting this firing, uh, which means pain is being um, sent, signaled. And we want less than that. And so we can see with each um, decrease in dosing, different concentration, lower concentration, with the one of compound X, it's much closer. It's less than, but it's still uh, much closer to the control. Uh, it goes down and down with 100 being the least in this trial. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, the least similar to the control. Yeah, so it seems like a hundred of this compound X does a much better job of being an analgesic, if I were to yeah. make that assumption. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I think um, another thing to note is just that general relationship, right? So inserting that um, compound X has an analgesic effect, and the more you add, the better it will be. So noting that there is some difference between the initial, like the one micromolar and the control is also important to think about as well, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like there's no effect until you get 100. It's that there is an effect, it's just not as strong. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, in terms of that overall paragraph, I want to ask you, Ryan, what do you think is like the general, like think about the components of an experiment, right? Yep. Like the hypothesis, methods, results. What do we get in this overall paragraph? Uh, what do we get? I don't, I, yeah, we're getting the hypothesis, the methods, the results. Um, we are getting the methods. Yeah. Right. It's just, yeah. what are we doing? We're testing three different, uh, ganglion cells or three different, um, concentrations on the ganglion cell. Right. Exactly. And I think knowing what's being talked about in a paragraph, especially when it's related to an experiment, can help inform what you want to highlight, right? So because we're getting the methods of that pair in that paragraph, we'll see, all right, where in terms of what specifically we're measuring, we're looking at sodium current, right? So highlighting sodium current and recorded can be helpful. And in terms of the goals of the methods, we're looking to... Um, look at the effects of ganglion cells with different concentrations. So highlighting like ganglion cells, concentrations of compound X, something like that can be valuable as well. Um, in terms of that first sentence, I don't know. They don't really talk about lidocaine, <laughs> so like not really, not super important to highlight, but you could say like X's effect on neuronal firing yep. or something like that. But yeah, that's pretty much it. And again, I think one of the things that I recommend to people, especially in the beginning when you're struggling with the, MCAT is don't worry about time, but make sure you understand the general structure and layout of your passages, right? Because the MCAT is a standardized test. So as you continue to read more and more passages, you'll notice that a lot of them are more or less structured the same way. Yeah. So you'll have an intro of some topic, may or may not be related to what you know in terms of MCAT knowledge. And then they'll talk about an experiment and give you the methods and then the results. So being able to leverage that can help because it eliminates the unknowns that you get on test day, right? And it can help inform what you want to be highlighting when you get to each chunk of that like standard passage structure. Yeah. <sighs> All right, moving on. All right. To test if compound X was indeed also a blocker of HCN channel currents, the effects of the drug on HCN currents in ganglion cell neurons was reported. HCN channel whole cell current in neurons was induced by giving a membrane potential step from a holding potential of negative 60 millivolt step to negative 140 millivolts for 700 milliseconds and then back to negative 70 millivolts. Solutions of 5 milliliters were prepared with differing amounts of compound X. Figure three shows the concentration effect of compound X on HCN in neurons. And then we get figure three. Ooh. Okay. 
So in f- this paragraph and in figure two, they told us, hey, compound X is doing something, right? Because it's it's testing um, sodium current. So sodium current is being blocked. And now it's saying, okay, we know it's being blocked, but is it blocking this specific HCN channel? I'm assuming that's kind of going, uh, that's where it's going towards here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, all right. So I'll actually highlight that idea because again, we're looking at the purpose of like a new experiment, right? Yeah. So I would highlight like compound X blocker of HCN channels because that's what we're testing to see if that's true. Yeah. Okay. So then uh, channel whole current and neurons was induced. Blah, blah, blah. Solutions of 5 mLs were prepared with different amounts of compound X. All right. And so compound X, so it's a log, log, logarithmic, logarithmic, whatever that word, a log scale. Logarithmic. Wow. That's funny. So the log scale and of compound X. And then the change of whatever's going on here. Um, Okay. What else would we want to see? So in terms of that paragraph, there are a lot of details. And I'll be honest, to me, that seems like fluff, right? So I would just probably know, all right, methods of this HCN experiment, right? And I'd highlight concentration effect. Like figure three shows the concentration effect. Um, just cause again, it'll help orient me to figure three if I need to get oriented. Right. For me, I struggle with those logs. So I'm just like, ah, oh, man, that's going to be a pain to figure out when it comes time to that. Um, yeah. but knowing what it's showing can be really helpful. Yeah. Um, if you want to highlight the milliliters, because again, if I'm seeing like specific amounts of things in my MCAT brain, I'm immediately thinking like, okay, stoichiometry is probably going to show up. <laughs> in this chem phys section, right? So you can highlight that, but you don't have to. Got it. All right. So what I'm taking away is that there's a change happening. So compound X is doing something to these channels. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, totally. Again, being aware of the fact that like, just that figure itself is showing inhibition by adding, right? So it's very clear. All right, there's inhibition car- like happening. And when you go from left to right, you're adding more and more of that compound X. Okay. All right. Logarithmic. There we go. <laughs> this, is what this is what we're working on in the MCAT podcast today is <laughs> pronunciation. Um, all right. Question 23. Compound X and lidocaine can be separated using ether extraction because lidocaine is lipophilic while compound X is hydrophilic come or b compound x is lipophilic while lidocaine is hydrophilic b both molecules are hydrophobic with only non-polar groups or d lidocaine is hydrophilic while compound x is hydrophobic <sighs> all right so i don't know <laughs> So when I when I think about what they both do, right? They're both uh, analgesics, supposedly here, um, and they are both kind of acting in similar ways. And so, to me, when I think about that, I go, "Well, can they be hydrophobic? Can one be hydrophobic and hydrophilic? Can one be uh, lipophilic and one be not, or whatever?" Um, and still do the same thing, or will it prevent it from doing the same thing for the same kind of compound? And so again, I, I think I'd mentioned in the last episode, um, I tend to rely on just super basic logic, <laughs> maybe a little too much for the MCAT. And I go, it's the same molecule, right? If I'm injecting some lidocaine in someone or compound X in someone, uh, then I'm going to assume it's going to the same places, it's doing the same thing. So hydrophilic, hydrophobic, like it can't be very different or else it wouldn't do the same things. 
I think maybe. So all of the hydrophilic stuff, so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out, right? And so, it's choice C. Both molecules are hydrophobic. Okay, great. They're both the same, hydrophobic wise, with only nonpolar groups. And so we we see from Figure One that compound X is much more complex theoretically. And so I'm gonna go with answer choice C as to why things are that way, but I don't know. So here's the thing with, because you're totally right in that if they're going to have the same effect, they're likely going to do the same thing, same mechanism, et cetera. Yeah. But is there anywhere in the passage that actually told us that lidocaine and compound X did the same thing and worked the same way? Uh, well, kind of. They're both analgesics. They're both doing their thing. They're both, I don't know. <laughs> Again, yeah. super basic logic. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that, so... With this particular passage, we were told that they were compared, but we weren't told about the results of that comparison, right? And with a lot of things in biology, like there's a lot of different ways to get to the same outcome. So for that reason, answer choice B doesn't like, it, it doesn't make sense to rely on the functionality of it. It would make a little bit more sense though to rely on the differences between them. Because if you think about what this question is asking us to do, right? It's asking us why there can be a separation yep. between compound X and lidocaine. And for that reason, we need to rely more on what's different between the two rather than what's the same. Okay. So for that reason, I would urge you to sort of look at figure one, right? Figure one, although it's kind of hard to do so over a podcast, but figure <laughs> one has the two different structures. One of them is our compound X. It has a ton of different charged compounds. There's a bunch of ends, a bunch of other stuff going on compounds um like for our lidocaines on the left there's only like two nitrogens and a carbonyl right so if we're comparing the two one of them is going to be a lot more polar a lot more hydrophilic than the other right mm -hmm. so our compound x is going to be what's more hydrophilic okay so for that reason answer choice a is actually going to be our answer because in general extraction is a method that we need to be aware of for the mcat and it's basically this idea of if we put a non-polar solvent through a funnel that has our compound like is going to dissolve with like and so the non-polar parts of our solution is going to separate okay. from the polar parts right so the answer really relies on us understanding one part is polar one part is non-polar so when we put ether in the mix, which is a nonpolar solvent, it's going to separate. And so for those two reasons, A is going to be our answer. Um, answer choice C doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense because the word only is a bit extreme. Here. Mm. Although lidocaine is nonpolar, there are some polar groups in there, right? Like there's the nitrogen, there's the carbonyl. Yeah. It's just that globally, it's a pretty nonpolar compound because there's so many other that phenyl group going on, that sort of dominates in terms of its overall characteristic. Got it. I think determining polarity and non-polarity is one of like the weirdest things to do because it isn't black and white. Sometimes there are gray areas where like, yes, there's a polar group in there, but that doesn't mean it's a polar compound, right? You have to think yeah. about like dipole moments and the overall structure. Um, so if you guys, anyone who's listening is struggling with that, I would highly encourage you to just like, look up like a video, look up blueprints modules, like do anything like that, just to confirm like what drives polarity and non-polarity because it can get tricky. Tricky, tricky, tricky. All right. Question 24, it's all you. All right. Based on the observed effects, what is the minimum dose of compound X required to reduce the HCN current to half the normal current? All of our answer choices are numbers. So answer choice A is 5 times 10 to the negative 4 micromoles. B is 1 times 10 to the negative 2 micromoles. C is 5 times 10 to the negative 2 micromoles. And D is 5 times 10 to the negative 2 moles. Yeah. So when I look at this, I cry a little bit inside. I was just about to say that. <laughs> I cry on the outside too. Um, based on the observed 
effects. Uh, what is the minimum dose? And so we're going down to figure three. Amazing. Right? Uh, so that's where we're talking about HCN currents, uh, which we highlighted here. And uh, looking at half. So if we go here and here, like, is that half? We're trying to look at uh, the negative five there. Uh, but that's a log. And so how do we get to, <laughs> how do we get to moles? Uh, and, and you talked earlier about, ooh, five mLs. Maybe we should think about that. So uh, something tells me that you kind of knew what was coming. Um, and uh, it's been too long for me to figure out how I get from five mLs and looking at this graph of, eh, this negative five on the log chart looks about halfway to getting an answer here. Yeah, no, I think looking at the chart and being able to recognize, all right, the information that I need is in figure three, and it isn't all of the information. We need to also look at the five mLs from the paragraph. That's, in my opinion, one of the hardest things to do for a question like this, mm -hmm. right? Um, because I think half of the battle with answering questions that are heavily rooted in passages is being able to understand where in the passage you need to look. Right. So the fact that you were able to do that is incredible because if you just knew a little bit more about the stereometry, you'd be able to get this question manager. Right. Um, the logic is what's really important for this question. That being said, I think the biggest thing to look at, right, is you need to combine the concentration that you get from the figure with the actual volume because the concentration is just moles per liter. Right. Mm -hmm. So Based on dimensional analysis, all you really need to do is just find the molar, multiply it by the liters, and then you would get to your answer, right? So moles per liter times liter, that gets you to moles, right? Makes sense. Sure. So in terms of getting to that on this figure, now we need to do a little bit more digging into what this figure is telling us, right? So the biggest things that I like to tell my students all the time is, Pay attention to the figures in a stepwise manner. Don't try and just stare at it and assume the knowledge will just come to you like Jimmy Neutron brain blast style, right? <laughs> okay. Look at your caption. Look at your axes. Think about what's actually showing up here, right? So in our caption, we're told that inhibition of HCN currents by additions of compound X are being shown. And our X axis shows the log of our X. Y axis shows the change. So it's clear that in terms of having the normal current, we're going to want to look at our y-axis, right? And our y-axis shows a delta i over ih max, which represents the change in your current as a proportion of the maximum, right? So it seems like for our y-axis, all we need to do really is find where on the x-axis is our y-value equal to 0.5, right? And on this figure, it's negative 5. So all you'd have to really do there is, all right, see, what value, like what number gets me to a log of negative five, right? Do you remember how to do that, Ryan? I feel like it's hard. I don't ever remember. No. Yeah, it's, it's hard. So for negative five, we would just know, because remember log base 10x would mean that it's going to be 10 to the power of whatever your answer is. So since it's negative five, our x, our molar concentration is going to be 10 to the negative five molar. Okay. Um, would you want me to talk through the math or would that be really, I feel like it's hard to do it on a podcast. Yeah, no, talk, talk through it because people are watching on YouTube as well. And so. Oh, shoot. My phone, my yeah. phone is going to be on the internet. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. So what I would recommend you do is once you get to that negative five, we know it's 10 to the negative five molar concentration. We're not done there, right? We need to use our analysis with dimensional analysis. So we get for five milliliters. We can't just use that number because remember the units of molarity is moles per liter. Mm -hmm. So we need to convert our five milliliters to liters, right? Okay. And the biggest thing that I recommend you do when you're doing math on the is rely on scientific notation because it turns ugly numbers into easier numbers. <laughs> so instead of 0 0.005, you can have five times 10 to the negative three liters, yep. right? So all you would do then is just multiply 10 to the negative five times five times 10 to the negative three, and that would get you to five times 10 to the negative eight moles. And at first you're like, Pooja, what are you talking about? That doesn't match any of our answer choices. 
And I would encourage you to realize that all of the different units are slightly different, right? D is the only yep. thing in moles and it's wrong. It doesn't match our answer. Yep. Everything else is in micromoles, yep. right? I'm going to be honest. This question could have been meaner. This question could have had <laughs> answer choice B, be five times 10 to the negative, like eight micromoles or something. And you could have picked that, right? Yeah. Be, be very conscious of your units and make sure they're matching up. So at this point, all you have to do really is just convert five times 10 to the negative eight moles into micromoles, right? And the conversion factor is that 10 to the negative, 10 to the six micromoles is in one mole. So all you can do is just multiply five times 10 to the negative eight, divide by 10 to the negative six, and that will give you five times 10 to the negative two. That'll get you our answer. Yeah. I think talking through math makes it seem a lot more overwhelming than it is. But hopefully the idea of just multiplying those two numbers can be clear. Yeah, definitely. Very clear. Very clear. <laughs> now that I'm on the internet, I'm probably going to be more conscious of what it looks like what facial expressions I make. Um, all right. Question 25. How many chiral carbons are present in compound X? And so the first question I have is, what the heck is a chiral carbon? Um, they're carbon atoms that are attached to four different substituents. So I obviously remember that. I did not just Google that. Um, and so you're looking for carbons that are attached to lots of different things. Uh, and we're looking at compound X, which is this fun uh, figure one uh, on the right here. <sighs> and so the question is, where are the carbons attached to four different things? And so if I'm going to look here, I'm looking at uh, where is this going to be? I am looking, I'm looking. And just as a, at a cursory look, I, I'm not seeing where it's attached to four different things um, very briefly. So I'm going to say zero. Yeah. Kill it. That's it. And the problem with this question is that most... MCAT students, including myself, when you do a problem like this, you're like, it can't, it can't be neutral or none of the above. <laughs> like, an answer like that scares you. Yeah. But I think the key is, like you just did, be confident with your glance. Be like, all right, I looked. I literally don't see anything. Yeah. That's the evidence I need to support my answer. Right? <laughs> I am smart. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I have eyes, and I can see. I can count. <laughs> So it's going to be A, and that's it. And I think you nailed that. All right. Yeah, I'm not a big uh, second-guesser kind of person. I, I just go with it, and if it's wrong, it's wrong. If it's right, great. Um, but I, I don't second-guess, which is a, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a double-edged sword for sure. But for the MCAT, I think it's a good thing. Because yeah. second-guessing is often what leads people to falling for trap answers and for getting things wrong. So yeah. if you've studied, if you know what you need to do to solve the problem and you get to an answer, there's no need to really doubt yourself, right? Yeah. If an answer seems easy, it just means that you felt prepared. It doesn't mean that you're falling for a trap. Yeah, and and the blueprint platform, when, when students sign up and they're, they're taking full-length exams, whether they're doing a course or just doing full-length exams, um, the platform, if you're careful enough and are only picking answers when you're, you're sure of your answer, and then you change your answer, the platform will tell you, right? In, in the analytics, it'll tell you questions you you changed and got right, questions you changed and got wrong, right? That's part of the analytics there. Yeah, I absolutely love the analytics section. I think, so for me, I used Blueprint when it used to be next step because yep. I took the MCAT long enough ago that that's, when it, that's what it was. Yep. Um, but I wish I had an analytics like that. That would have been so helpful because I had to do it like the old fashioned way and figure it out myself. But <laughs> I think it's really nice that Blueprints Portal lets you do that because it helps you understand like where exactly your mistakes are. And if you're seeking additional help from a tutor, an instructor, or et cetera, you can provide like very clear metrics and like, this is exactly where I'm struggling. Can you help me? Or how can I help myself if I'm struggling in this particular concept, content, right? Like I, one of the things that I do in my class is like I show students an example analytics page and we sort of walk through potential solutions based off of what you can see. And that's something that you can do for yourself if you have that like analytics available. Yeah. All right, question 26. All right. 
Oh, I have to read. <laughs> <laughs> How many grams of compound X molar mass of 292.81 grams per mole are required to create a 1.5 molar solution of the mixture used to test HCN current as shown in figure three? All of our num answers are again numbers, which makes you want to cry on the inside. <laughs> a little bit of math. Answer choice A is 0.0075 grams is one gram, C is two grams, and D is six grams. I know, Ryan. I'm so sorry. See, so again, my, my strategy on a test would be like, which, which ones of these, being on the MCAT without a calculator, they're not going to be super evil. Be like, is it 1.1 or one? <laughs> like they're not, they're not going to be that evil. So to me, one and two are too close to each other. Um, and so I'm going to throw out B and C. And I'm left with it's either really small or it's big, right? 0. 0.0075 grams or six grams. And the the MM, what is that one again? What it was MM? Molar mass. Molar mass. The molar mass is... 292.81 grams per mole <sighs> which seems like it's a big um and so i don't know to to me that that number's really big and so i don't need a lot of it so i'm going to go with answer choice a just because of that <laughs> <laughs> um unfortunately it's not the case Darn it. i think that I, I i do think that on the mcat there are going to be a lot of questions where the numbers are not going to be evenly spaced apart so you're choosing b and c to eliminate makes sense in general but unfortunately in this particular question <laughs> it is c um wah, and, wah. i know wah, wah. and the only reason to get it right is just to like do the math um so in terms of, I'm actually going to ask you, Ryan, if you have any idea about what information from the passage you think we would need to answer this question. Is there anything from the passage that you think we may want to use? Um, I don't know. So in terms of our like stoichiometry type stuff, right? Stoichiometry is generally like the conversions of grams, liters, moles, molar, whatever, right? Yep. That's like the broad field. So that five milliliters is coming up with great utility in this yeah. particular passage because we're going to be using that again. Okay. okay. So whenever I notice that there's a math problem, for me at least, the solution never comes immediately. What I like to do is actually write out what I've been given and what I need to find. Because once I have that written in my scratch paper, like I literally write G, whatever we're given, F, whatever we found, that helps me understand what the next path is and also helps me determine if I can do it under like a minute, minute and a half, right? Because if I just scribble it out and I notice that there are multiple steps that need to be had, maybe it's going to be something that I flag and do later if I have time, right? Um, so for me, what I would do is write down what I've been given. So in this we have the molar mass, we have the molar concentration, and we have the volume of our mixture. And in terms of what we need to find, it's just the grams of our compound involved. And we can tell that from the answer choices, right? So just like our last problem, this one really becomes a dimensional analysis problem where you convert from unit to unit to unit to eventually get you two grams, right? So we have our 1.5 moles per liter, right? times our five times 10 to the negative three liters, right? Because remember five milliliters converts to liters. And then from there we have moles, right? So to go from moles to grams, we would just have to use our molar mass. And that is just multiplying again. So we would multiply our answer of 1.5 times five times 10 to the negative three, which is just 7.5 times 10 to the negative three moles and multiply that by our molar mass. However, 292.81 times 7.5. I have no idea what that is. That's <laughs> I won't be like doing that. I don't. So I would round up to 300 yep. and hope for the best, right? So round up to 300, multiply that times my 7.5. That's something I can do because it then quickly, we're using scientific notation, turns into 7.5 times 10 to the negative three times three times 10 squared, right? And the beauty of scientific notation is that 
what could have been an otherwise really ugly problem to do turns into, okay, group the numbers together, multiply 7.5 times three, group the exponents together, multiply 10 times 10 to the, 10 to the negative three and 10 times two and do the math separately, right? So 7.5 times three, that's 22.5 and 10 to the negative three times 10 squared. When you're doing scientific notation, one of the rules that you have to know is that multiplying the two is the same thing as just adding the exponents. So negative three plus two, that's negative one, right? Mm. So we end up with 22.5 times 10 to the negative one grams. And since everything is in our standard numbers, 20, 20 times 10 to the negative something, that's gonna be two. And so that explains why two is our answer. Yeah, good to know. All right. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. I mean, I think one of the biggest things to know about these math problems is that there are a lot, generally, there are a lot of ways where you can make it easier for yourself. So relying on rounding is going to be super important. So like my rounding of 292 to 300, the MCAT yeah. expects you to do that. The yeah. MCAT will give you an answer that is in line with that, yeah. right? They're not going to expect you to bust out your mental calculator and multiply <laughs> 292 to 0.81 times 7.5. Like that's ridiculous. No one can do that. Yeah. Um, round, okay. round, round. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Um, question 27. Uh, all right. So question 27, what alteration to an HCN channel will reduce the transport of K in favor of sodium, uh, transport? So potassium in favor of sodium, a increasing the diameter of the channel by adding amino acids, B decreasing the di diameter of the channel by removing amino acids. C, replacing the serine groups in the channel with alanine, or D, replacing the alanine groups in the channel with serine. So, hmm, this seems like a pseudo-discrete and has really nothing to do with the passage. Maybe? I mean, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe, potentially. Um so the, the question would be, right, so we have the HCN channel. Again, HCN channel is this last paragraph that we're looking at. Um, but it doesn't really talk about potassium, sodium. Um, it just talks about uh, all the normal stuff, right, just the membrane potential. Mm -hmm. So if we reduce the transport in f uh, of potassium in favor of sodium, I don't like, I don't want to kill someone. <laughs> like, don't, don't mess with my potassium and sodium pumps. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So, so answer choices um, A and B are again, directly opposite. Answer choices C and D are directly opposite. Mm -hmm. So I'm left with two opposite groups. The diameter of the channel I don't know if that really matters, right? You just have a bigger hole or a smaller hole. Um, but if everything else works the same, I don't know how that will affect anything. So just again, going to logic, again, overused potentially, I'm gonna get rid of A and B. And now I'm like, okay, serine, alanine, I have to remember the potassium sodium pumps and what potentially is going on there. <sighs> I'm tired at this point, right? We're only uh, five passages into this diagnostic and my <laughs> my brain has given up. And so I would choose C and move on, <laughs> replacing the serine groups in the channel with alanine without understanding why or what, because I'm just like, can I be done? Like my butt's tired. I've been sitting here forever working on this thing. <laughs> and I don't know. I'm starting to freak out because the real test is twice as long as this. And oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing I'll say is with the MCAT practice is essential, not only because of the cognitive benefits that you have of but because it helps you increase your endurance, right? Mm -hmm. So like for me, it got to a point where when I was taking the MCAT, I finished an eight hour test and felt fine. But that is not how I felt when I first started. When I first started, I literally couldn't physically finish. 
I was like, I am about to explode. Like I could not finish it. I had to stop. Like I felt so bad because I was like, oh my God, I had to stop halfway through. Does that mean I'm not going to be able to take the test? And just know that it gets better with every single trial that you do, right? Yeah. Like if you think about the MCAT, I, I know everyone compares it to a marathon, but like it really is, right? So when you are training for a marathon, do you run like 10 miles on your first day? Like, no, you run a mile, then you run two miles and three miles and four miles. And then eventually you can get to like a half marathon with no problem, right? So although it's really hard, doing it a little bit at a time will be really important. Yep. The diagnostic, again, is just a way to expose you to what you're bad at. So if you're struggling to sit through five passages, it tells you that you should spend a little bit of time focusing on having long bouts of studying and having a lot of practice where you're doing, you know, where you're exerting your mind like cognitively for long periods of time. So you can get used to doing that. And I think one of the things that I did when I got closer to my test that was actually really helpful is I studied in tests like chunks. So I studied for 90 minutes at a time mm -hmm. every like couple of days because for me it helped because I got used to being mentally active for 90 minutes at a time because I had never done that before. I had always done like, like when I was in lectures and stuff, I would zone out after like a half, well, half an hour, right? Like mm -hmm. I'd sort of zone out a little bit, come back in, zone out a little bit, come back in. But on testing, you can't really do that. So you need to train your brain to be that active for 90 minutes. Yeah. So. That's like the biggest thing I'd say for that. Um, for this question, I'm so sorry, Ryan, but like you got it wrong. And I think <laughs> the main reason, the main reason is because I think you didn't know enough about what was, what was like the test was asking you about. So in general for the MCAT, right? Every question is asking you about a scientific principle. Mm -hmm. And for this particular question, it's actually asking you about what is the difference between sodium and potassium, mm. right? And I think the big reason why you eliminate, you didn't think about that is because sodium and potassium are actually chemically very, very similar. The only difference between them is actually size, right? So it's going to have to be between A and B. And I think the whole reason why I was like not certain by telling you it's a pseudo degree is because technically speaking, the fact that the HCN channel is permeable to both sodium and potassium is provided in that first paragraph. But like, you don't need that to answer this question. You need to know the difference between sodium and potassium, right? So the key is the difference in that. And the difference between sodium and potassium is the size, right? Where potassium is larger than sodium, right? So if you were to try and figure out a scenario where unfortunately you're messing with sodium and potassium in a person who has pain, um, the way to reduce transport of something that's bigger in favor of something that's smaller is decreasing to the size to a point where it's in between mm -hmm. sodium and potassium, right? The reason why A doesn't really make sense is because if it's a big channel, then it can bring in both. It's just that like there may be less wiggle room with the potassium when it goes through but it doesn't select one over another. And so that's why B is going to be correct. Okay. The reason why C and D don't really make sense is because the difference between serine and alanine is polarity versus non-polarity, right? But because sodium and potassium are so chemically similar, if you change the chemical composition of your channel, it's going to do the same thing to both of them, yeah. right? So with a polar group, it's going to allow you to bring both of those two things in. But if you are replacing it with a nonpolar group, you're not going to let sodium and potassium through. Yeah. Yeah. That's the main logic of that one. All right. Yeah. I'm so sorry. That's okay. I, I can take it. Uh, it does not, <laughs> does not mean that I uh, can't get into medical school. This does not mean that I can't be an amazing physician um, because I've already done that suckers. Um, uh, uh, and that's right. That's the truth is, is yeah. too many students, uh, put the score that they get on their diagnostic or on their full length exams or on their real tests. And they, they take that score to mean I can't or can get into med school. I won't right. be a doctor. I will be a doctor. I, I'm not a good doctor. I'm not smart. I'm not like, I, I'm literally having a conversation with a student right now who's really struggling with the MCAT. She took it a second time. She struggled the first time, uh, took it a second time and went in with much higher practice scores, uh, was out of her post COVID fog that she had the first time. Yeah. And, uh, and still got a poor score. And she's like, 
I'm just not smart. I'm like, no, that's not what your MCAT score means. Um, and it's, it's just, it's such a brutal test, unfortunately. It really is. And I think one of the biggest things that I tell people is it's actually something that I learned myself that really helped. And it's something that stems in pre-med culture, but can affect your grades as well. And it's this idea of don't seek to go for numbers all the time yeah. because numbers are a measure of something that isn't exactly correlated to what you actually know, right? You need to focus on mastering the content, being able to truly understand and be able to explain it to someone else and use strategies and whatever it may be to help you supplement whatever gaps you have in your content, right? So if you focus on that and you improve on that, the numbers are going to follow. So When I talk to students and they're telling me about their scores and how there's plus or minus one or two point deviations or their numbers are nowhere near where they want them to be, I tell them like, listen, your numbers right now are going to be low. My numbers for the first like three months of studying were like poop, right? They were just awful. I was about to curse and I'm not going to, but (laughs) (laughs) they were really bad. But once I got to a point where there was enough content that I understood, there's enough strategy that I was getting, the numbers started to follow. Mm-hmm. And I think you're experiencing a, a point right now where your numbers are really low. You just haven't gotten to that point yet. It doesn't mean you, you're never going to get there. It just means you yeah. haven't gotten there yet, right? So Yeah, it's, it's a very about- similar uh, analogy to the um, to chopping down the cherry tree, right? Of, of uh, You have four hours to chop down the cherry tree, and the smart person spends three hours sharpening their, their axe. Um, and, and the, the other student is just banging away. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to get a higher score. I'm going to get a higher score. But like, no, like, just <laughs> take a second, make sure your foundation's solid. Get, like we'll get yeah. there. Yeah, no, I love that. I've actually never heard of that, but I, I like it. I may, I may borrow it for my, steal it. I think steal it. I'll steal it. Yeah. It's a good one. I'm good. I think it's true. Like, I mean, for me, like with my GPA and stuff, like I, didn't do well my first year of college and it's because I was so focused on the numbers. But then once I started thinking about the actual content and learning things, that's when my grades started getting better. And I carried that with me to the MCAT. And I, I think I benefited from that. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a, uh, it's an Abraham Lincoln quote. I'm, I'm pretty sure. And his, his quote is if I had five minutes to chop down a tree, I'd spend the first three sharpening my ax. Yeah. yeah smart guy, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. So there you have it. Again, that's Blueprint Diagnostic Chemphys Passage 5. If you don't have access to the diagnostic test yet, what are you waiting for? Go over to blueprintmcat.com and sign up for a free account to get access to this diagnostic as well as full length one, the flashcard platform, their study planner tool, and so much more. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT Podcast. This is MedEd Media.